Good morning, everyone. I'm really excited at bringing uh, today's message because it's a very clear message and it's from the very heart of God. And whenever God's heart is in something, then we know that he's going to captivate us and touch us in a special way. So I just have that great expectation that God is going to meet us here this morning. So I was thinking the other day, it's not really been very long since we dragged out our Christmas trees and we decorated them up and then we transformed them into specimens of absolute beauty and wonder standing in the middle of our living room. But have you ever wondered about the tree itself? Look at the magnificent tree. Yet it has no roots and it has no fruit. Just think that many Christmas trees were never even grown Rather, they were manufactured. There is nothing about them that is alive. Others have been cut off from their roots, and they're sold to you and I as dead trees. These trees will not produce fruit, pine cones, new needles, nor any roots to support additional new growth, upward, inward, outward, nor forward. That's for all of us. For the most part, our magnificent Christmas trees adorned in splendor are really just dressed-up dead trees, which we use to make ourselves really feel good. Don't get me wrong, there's probably nothing intrinsically wrong about Christmas trees other than the potential for man to make a dead tree their idol as they forget the Christ of Christmas and decorate and worship a tree, a dead tree in his place. My point, very simply, Dead trees don't produce fruit. They can't grow. They can't sow seeds. And this results in a harvest. That would result in a harvest of new trees like wood, hay, and stubble. They end up in the ash heap. This morning we're taking a look or a trip through Galatians chapter 6, verses 10, 6 through 10. And the Apostle Paul is making an important point to the Galatians about sowing and reaping, uh, which also applies to us today. So we're going to look at the message version. At least I'm going to read that to you today. I'm sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint. Be very sure now, you have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you sharing all good things that you have an experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person sows, he will harvest or reap. The person who plants or sows selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the work in him and through him harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued in doing good at the right time. We will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time you get a chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. You might be asking what a Christmas tree has to do with Paul's call. That's a good question. The finely decorated Christmas tree, which takes the center stage in our homes at Christmas, is dead 
And even though it looks good, the fact remains it's dead. I think I've made that point. As Randy, Pastor Randy, has already described, many people are dead inside. They have no spirit life, or they've starved the life of the spirit by living out a life of the flesh. The flesh, like the Christmas tree, is dead of spirit. It cannot produce spirit life, sow spiritual seed, nor reproduce spiritual fruit. Even when the flesh is decorated, propped up in the center of the family, wearing dapper clothing, using the latest technology, and attaining to a prestigious profession, in fact, flesh life is spiritually dead. It produces only disappointment, discouragement, death, and destruction. Coddle it as you will, the end is not pretty. It is not any better than the end of the dead Christmas tree. Wood, hay, and stubble, it lands in the ash heap. Pastor Randy has wonderfully expounded upon the issues of the fleshly life, one of usurping God's place in our lives by opposing God's leadership and wanting things our own way, all the while wanting the desires of a fleshly life. John Stott describes sowing in the flesh this way. To sow in the flesh is to pander it, coddle it, stroke it, instead of crucifying it. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or waller in self-pity, we are sowing in the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we read or look at pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, we're sowing in the flesh. Some Christians sow in the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. In Galatians 6, 7, the apostle summed it up by saying, no one makes a fool of God. What we plant, we will harvest. If to the flesh, the weeds of death and destruction. Today we'll be identifying just how we can plant or sow in response to God, allowing God's spirit to do the growth in us, that we may harvest real life, eternal life, beginning here and now. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are comforted by the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you come, Holy Spirit, in your fullness, pour out more of your presence, your power, your spirit on each of us today. Provision each of us again with your anointing to accomplish the call of God on our lives to live for your glory. Raise our spiritual awareness of your presence. Help us to put our hands and our lives to the task that you have called us to do in our spiritual growth and transformation in our journey here on earth. Lord, we invite you to use this morning as a training session for your recruits to continue to be transformed and filled by your Holy Spirit to accomplish all you desire in and through our lives. May we live in the spirit moment by moment, day by day, throughout our lifetimes, as your kingdom comes and your will is done in and through each of us for your glory. Amen.
So in review of uh, where we've been in, in the recent weeks, we recall that Pastor Randy reminded us that God has actually provisioned us. In fact, he is our source and our resource. And he has given us the grace and the empowering presence of God to live that holy life. That means that we have the presence of the Spirit of God empowering us to do what he's called us to do and to not do things in our own strength, in our own flesh, according to our own wants and our own desires. So we begin with Paul's opening comments in Galatians 6, 6. You have been trained to self-sufficient maturity, enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things. Alas, the potluck. (laughs) In essence, Paul is addressing the recipients of training to maturity in Christ and directs them or us to join with and fully participate in the generous common life with those who trained them. He's teaching the liberality and the uh, generosity of mutuality. To whom much is given, much is required. Here we see Paul connecting the dot between the source of the growth in a disciple and the life poured into them by the teacher. Mutuality is elevated, and selfishness and greed is demeaned. Without saying it, Paul is describing the mutual responsibility of living a selfless in selfless goodness. The word used for Paul by share or fellowship is the verb form mutuality, which requires both parties serving one another. Sometimes we get the idea of serving as I serve everyone or you serve everyone. But in mutuality, I'm busy serving you while you're busy serving me. There's a oneness. There's a unity. There's a fellowship beyond just sitting together. The key to godly fellowship is sharing in the good things together. In the act of sowing in the spirit as fully participated in the generous common life. Where both participants, the recipient and the giver, give and share liberally and generously. So Galatians 6.8 goes on to say that one who sows in response to God, letting God's spirit do the work or the growth in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Another way to say it is one who lets God's spirit grow them up in Christ will harvest eternal life. Did you hear that? The key to unlock the door to eternal life is God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. No wonder there's been such conflict surrounding the great moves of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. What's the source of that resistance? It originates in hell itself. The spiritual powers of darkness are agitated and enraged when the church or a group of believers believe and are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues and they move in the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God. Can you imagine the enemy of God attacking every aspect of the Holy Spirit and those empowered by him? Satanic forces stirring and enticing believers to focus on and act out 
the works of the flesh and to question and to deny the Holy Spirit's role, power, presence, and his manifestations, even to the attacking of God's word itself. I remember as new believers, Terry and I were attending a community group in Palm Springs, California. It was there we were beginning to experience firsthand the delusional powers of the dark forces. In one of those community group meetings, we viewed a short video about the Mormon Bible and how it was rewritten by Mormons or men. And this was followed with a very interesting discussion about the Word of God. That night, both Terry and I had dreams in which the Bible was the book under scrutiny as being fabricated by man, and the Mormon Bible was the true and accurate book. At the next community group meeting, to our amazement, many in our group had that same kind of dream. And when we, be, we came together, we, re, we realized the power of the, the deceiver to work against us, even as a group, to challenge God's word. We were amazed at the, uh, the enemy and how he could twist the truth. And we also realized that the enemy could attack our minds with his lies. The group attack uh, was sobering as we recognized the seductive powers of the enemy and how he would like to deceive us as people. The experience reinforced our commitments to the Lord and to the importance of his word in the community of believers. And it represents the very face of spiritual warfare. The enemy confusing and stirring deception and lies while denying and attacking the very word of God. The enemy of God attacking the veracity of God's word, the Bible. That's powerful. And that happens every day. As we understand sowing and reaping, the Father is illuminating the role of the Holy Spirit in empowering us to overcome the lies of the enemy and the life of the flesh by guiding and empowering us to walk the life of the Spirit, the source of truth and the source of assurance, and thereby overcome the schemes and the deception of the enemy whose goal is do us grave harm. As we experience the total redirection and reordering of our lives and our priorities to walk in the Spirit and into the Christ-likeness, we'll see more the roles, more clearly the roles of dark powers and their power over the fleshly desires and of the depth of the losses that we have sustained as uh, when we walked in deception. And I'd like to give you an example of that. When I was, um, before I was a Christian, I was looking for something, but I knew that the something wasn't in church. That was the lie I believed. And in that search, I ended up going through transcendental meditation and hatha yoga. Along the way, I had an empowering encounter with God, and I was radically uh, delivered and, and really powerfully uh, touched. And during that uh, transformation journey, I read a book by David Hunt about Transcendental Meditation and uh, Yoga and a number of other topics. And as I read each chapter, I would become enraged at the lies that I had believed about the topic. Transcendental Meditation and Yoga denied that they had any religious roots. They were not related to gods or spirits. They were touted to be merely methods to help you experience peace and tranquility. And by the way, these pathways are still very popular today.
The latest edition of Time Magazine, the feature article is The Mindful Revolution. The article touts the same old lie, updated and presented in new packaging. That is because the multitasking, high-performance space demands on people today that they are looking to find themselves a way to escape, a way to escape the demands of life. And the movement, in their movement toward this meditation process, they turn their backs toward God and they put their face right into the face of demonic spirits, having no idea of that. They supposedly enter into a peaceful bliss and live happily ever after. But I want to explain what happened in TM sessions and why there's such deception there. At TM sessions, priests and nuns were among those that were receiving training. Everyone was seeking to find God or peace or tranquility using Eastern meditation processes. TM leaders would meet with each person individually and assign them a personal mantra or word. And along with that, we were assured that it was a nonsense word used merely as a vehicle for reaching the meditative state. A method of emptying our mind of all thought to be free to exercise deep peace. Lies. It was all based on lies. The mantra was actually the name of an Eastern god, a demon spirit. And in my case, for two years of my life outside of Christ, I chanted that name 20 minutes a session, two sessions a day, 365 days a year. My mind was certainly not neutral. It was calling in dark spirits as the emptying of my mind created a vacuum sucking up the abyss of darkness as I chanted that name, which in effect invited evil to reign over my life. My cousin also participated in TM. He began to envision evil scenes and then painted them on his walls. And I inquired of him, what's the source of these paintings? And he said, well, they were visions he experienced in meditation. I promptly informed him, the rules say you have to keep your mind clear. You're breaking the rules. That didn't help him. I look back now and all I can see is the hand of God protecting me from encountering those same visions and dreams that my vision, my cousin not only painted but ended up living out. When I came to understand from a new Christian perspective the lies that the book revealed, how they deceived me and the people that were coming to TM, I threw the book across the room. I was enraged that I could believe a lie. Later, I picked the book up again and I read the chapter about Hatha Yoga. I was so angry that I beat my fist on the floor. Another pack of lies were told me about Hatha Yoga. It was represented to be merely stretching exercises to enhance relaxation and tension and release internal energy and all that dogma. They claim there is nothing religious. There's no spirits involved. The stances included in yoga um, included the cobra, the lion, the scorpion, just to name a few. And yes, you got it. I threw the book. The descriptions of the book of the various yoga postures 
explained how each posture was designed to open your body and your spirit to beckon in dark, evil powers. With help and time, I was able to renounce and cast off the evil influences and seek God's forgiveness for participating in these practices, which opened my spirit, soul, and body to dark spirits, and to be cleansed, forgiven, and restored. And I humbly asked the Lord to forgive me for my pride and self-reliance, which had opened the way to me, for me to accept these lies. Why discuss this episode of my life? Because part of the tragedy of living in a fallen world is that we have been constantly barraged, barraged with the lies of the enemy. How will we know? How will we understand truth but for knowing the word of truth? God's word, his spirit, the spirit of truth. Hebrews 4.12 says, God's word is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Jesus didn't leave us here as orphans. Rather, we have been given the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, his empowering presence, that we might know God's truth and be able to confess and be forgiven of sin while being conformed into the very image of Christ through the process of transformation from people of the flesh to people of the spirit. Hey, folks, that's our journey. That's what God has called us to do. So today, hear his voice. Jesus, Jesus is saying something really significant. He's asking us to really listen and perceive that this is the way, the only way to spirit life, to being conformed into the image of Jesus. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he wants us to be like him, then the pathway is the spirit-empowered way, truth, and life. It's the same for us. We are like Jesus in his earthly ministry, and we too are guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit, whose empowering presence came to Jesus at his baptism and was working in and through him through the cross and resurrection. That's our pathway. Planting and harvesting in the Spirit. Believers who are preoccupied with the things of God rather than the fleshly things of the world will produce the fruit of the Spirit. To sow in the Spirit is the same as to walk in the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit or to be filled with the Spirit. The one who sows with this, uh, it to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. More than ever, we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's our helper, precious gift from God, given to abide with and in us. He's our source. He fills us up with life and love, hope, righteousness, peace, and joy. He's the spirit of truth. He helps us to know what God has provided to us. He's a spirit of power and holiness. He sanctifies and empowers us to live a godly life. He circumcises or cuts off the excesses of our heart 
as the mark of a good and clean spirit. Regenerates, renews, and he strengthens the power of the inner man. He leads and empowers us to put off the flesh instead to serve the Lord in newness and freedom. He transforms us continually into the image of Jesus, the fruit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He gives us the power over lies. He gives us power to witness and to speak God's word boldly and to minister God's life to others. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit for godly living and ministry, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So how do we sow to the spirit or walk in the spirit, be led by the spirit, be filled with the spirit, and thereby uh, reap eternal life? Upon receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, we must welcome his presence and his work in our lives and set our minds on the things of the Spirit, not on the flesh, for they are in opposition to one another. We must continually walk in the Spirit and choosing to do the things that please God. We must cultivate a sensitivity to the Spirit and respond to what the Spirit is saying. We must pay attention to his warnings and not harden our heart toward the Lord. Knowing these foundations to the spirit life, we can sow or plant the living word of God deep into our hearts and lives where we cultivate a love of God and his living word. The word, the sword of the spirit, feeds our spirit life as we cooperate and humbly receive and embrace it. Our lives are to line up with the word and to remove all sin. The word is able to save us as we hear and do God's word, not merely hearing and giving it lip service. Lip service results in us thinking that we know the word. However, in failing to apply it to our lives, we neutralize the word's saving power. Notice the word, uh, the power of the hearing of the word and doing it. Both words, hear and do, are action verbs. In Hebrew, the original word is hagah. Hagah means to hear and do. It's one word. If you hear, you do. So one who has heard the sound, the word, or the Sunday morning message would be called to Hagah, to hear and act on it to do it. Without action, the word would not have been heard at all. In Luke 8, 7-9, Jesus was teaching, Other seed fell on the good soil and grew up and produced a crop of a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hagah. Do it. Mothers across the world know this principle. Child, did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? Now do it. I didn't put in my name. 
Jesus also instructed us on sowing in the kingdom in Matthew 13:23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest, 30, 60, even 100, as much as had been planted. Here again we see Hagah in action. And if we really got this, that is, heard the Lord in the Hebrew way, and we did it, Hagah, our lives would be ready, willing, and able to walk out the Spirit-empowered life. No more lip service to the Word of God. We can activate the spirit life in our daily walk as we read, meditate upon, ponder, memorize the living word. We do what it says to put off the flesh, the deceptive desires, and we put on living, residing, walking in the spirit. The teacher, the helper, the comforter is here And we are to welcome his presence every day. We would cultivate the spirit by pursuing spiritual formation practices daily. This is a living example of being saved by grace. For it is by grace you are saved. For grace is the empowering presence of God in our lives, transforming us into his likeness. Isaiah 30:18 specifically describes sowing in the spirit with the help of the Lord. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and his compassion. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. He will be with you to teach you. And you will see your teacher with your own eyes. And your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, This is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Pause here for a minute and reflect with me about Isaiah 30:18. When we ask the Lord for his love and his compassion... And invite him to come and be with us, welcoming and receiving him into our lives and following his leading. You can expect that you will see your teacher. Your own ears will hear him. He will tell you the way to go. Today, will you Hagah, that is here and do in the here and now, Reflect for a minute, and if you have a notebook, then write your response to God in your notes. Did you know that by not choosing to act, you have already made a choice? The choice not to do the thing proposed. Was that really your intention this morning? Prayer is another way to sow in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul teaches us in Ephesians 6.18 to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and petition. Romans 8.26-27 says that when we are weak, we are to depend on the Spirit to intercede for us according to the will of God. 
as we join with the Spirit in either of these ways and partner and agree with His purposes, He empowers us to pray in the Spirit. Our joint efforts, the Holy Spirit and me, has a powerful effect on our loved ones, our churches, our community, and our world. Did you know that we can become open vessels or conduits for praying in the Holy Spirit? That the Spirit is praying through us when we choose to walk in the Spirit? Remember, it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. Reflect on this idea for a moment. What does that look like for you? Are you resistant to this idea? Invite the Lord to speak to any resistance you're experiencing and write down what he reveals to you in your notes. We also sow doing good with perseverance and diligence to all, that's everyone, at the right time with the right motive. Now that's a tall order. However, the spirit, with the spirit empowerment, we can do it. When we sow good, we reap good in this life and in the one to come. We're also directed not to get tired of doing good in 2 Thessalonians 3.13. In addition, we're not to give up or put off doing good for another time. One day, Martha got tired of doing good. As she looked at her sister Mary and compared all of her own labors to Mary's perceived complacency, as she was seated at Jesus' feet, listening to his word, not lifting a finger to help her. Martha had become very distracted with all her preparations. So Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are, are worried and bothered by so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which should not be, shall not be taken away from her. I read that out of Luke 10, 37 to 42. Doing good for the right reason means not doing good to be honored or for selfish Reasons, rather doing good that God be glorified. This is characterized by selflessness. What was it that Mary chose to do that was in fact the good part? Mary was being with Jesus. While Jesus was present, she sat under his presence. He who is the living word, the word made flesh, She perceived the presence of her Lord. In that place and in his presence, she was being transformed in the spirit. You could say Mary is an example of abiding in his presence. You cannot be with Jesus without being changed. Doing good at the right time. There's a time for everything. How will we know the right time to sit and rest in his presence unless you're guided by his spirit and you are living in his presence. Martha needed a paradigm shift. 
Martha had missed the opportunity to do good, to sit at Jesus' feet, to be in his presence and there to grow in the spirit while finding rest and peace in her life. Instead of experiencing spirit life in her time of need, she demonstrated fleshly jealousy, bitterness, and judgment. Her goodness was ungodly goodness as it was driven by selfish performance to earn favor rather than freely giving herself to the Lord. And, to, and we are to do good at every opportunity. The word calls us to be ready in season and out. That is to be ready at every moment, every day, with every person motivated and ready to do good. We have been called to keep on keeping on. For tomorrow is always the devil's favorite day. The chant of lost ones reverses the truth. Never today, never do today what you can put off until tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. Lies reverse truth to deceive the naive. Be careful how we or you walk, making the most of your time. Time is of the essence in these latter days. For the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with his spirit. Planting bountifully, harvesting bountifully. The New Living Translation says it this way, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously or bountifully will get a generous or a bountiful crop. We must be wise in the time that we have, as it is more important now than ever before that we become serious and intentional by sowing generously to the Holy Spirit. Caveat. Do not quench the Spirit. Examine everything carefully. Hold on to that which is good. Refrain from every form of evil. The Holy Spirit can fix the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. His holy presence identifies sin and convicts us. However, you are the only one who can decide to continue to compromise or to live a holy and righteous life. In the presence of holiness, sin is either confessed, renounced, and forsaken, or the Holy Spirit of God could regress and ultimately depart from that unclean place. 1 John 1.9 assures us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of these reminders become very important to us as we choose to live life in the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, who's empowering our joint efforts that I might be transformed day by day into the image of Christ. How do we cultivate the life of the Spirit? We fill our minds and our hearts with the Word. We devote ourselves to prayer. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide and to help us to pray as we ought, as we submit and surrender our lives to him as our uh, act of worship. 
We seek to know and live our lives righteously, in justice, and in truth. We encounter and seek spiritual formation practices to support a deeper life in Christ and in his words. We develop and practice spiritual practices in places of pray, in times of praise and worship, soaking in his presence, reading, reflecting, and meditating on the Lord and his word, and we take it into our hearts and our minds to accurately apply it. In exercising times of fasting and spiritual retreat, in listening prayer, in times of silence and solitude, seeking and communing with God, all of which stir our longings to know him intimately and to walk in his wisdom and his power and his authority and to become more spiritually attuned to his presence in our daily walk and to cooperate with the Spirit in all ways to sanctify our lives completely, spirit, soul, and body, all the while knowing God calls us to holiness and gives his Holy Spirit for that purpose. In remembrance always, the Lord calls us to be holy, for I am holy. Holy, H-O-L-Y, means to be holy gods, H-W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy gods, 100% yours, Lord. Finally, the great harvest, the great reward, is the gift of eternal life. The one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Jesus says to his Father, This is eternal life, that they may know me, they may know thee, and the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The Apostle John adds, The Son of God has come and given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Christ Jesus. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus came that we might have life, and we might have it abundantly, and he himself is that life. This gift of eternal life begins even now in this present age, and it finds its fulfillment in the age to come which lasts forever. As we sow bountifully to the Spirit, rejoicing from our innermost being, flow rivers of living water, a well of water springing up to eternal life. Worship team, would you come now and begin to play the closing set? Lord, today you've reminded us once again that we are called to a life lived in the Spirit. To accomplish that life, we must live moment by moment, day by day, in your presence. It is only by living life through your empowering presence that we may experience the transformed life in Christ. You have also called us to be fruitful to multiply spiritual fruit, to sow in the Spirit that we might reap eternal life beginning here and now. 
We wait before you in these moments with expectation. Lord, we like Moses cry out from our innermost being, Show me your glory, Lord. Our desire is to see your glory, to reflect your glory as we walk in your ways. We long to hear you say, This is the way. Go to the right. Go to the left. We long for more of you, Lord. Lord, reveal yourself to each and every person in this room today. Confirm your presence is here with us now. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come with your empowering presence. Make this the day of your visitation. Make your home in our hearts. Guide us in the way, the truth, and the life of Christ. Prayer ministers and leaders, would you make your way to the cross to meet with people as they come forward? And the way things work around here is while the worship team plays this last song, some of our trained folks are available to pray with you, and they're heading over to the area of the cross. You may feel that the Lord is inviting you to join them in prayer. Just make your way over to a prayer member as you feel his leading. The Lord is inviting those of you who wrote down your responses to God this morning to pause for a minute and reflect over those decisions. As a first step to living out these decisions, he's inviting you to come to the altar and meet him there. He's assuring you to ask and you will receive his empowering presence. He will lead you to do all that you heard him speak for you to do. Haggah. Lord, for all of your sakes, empower us to live out our lives in your empowering presence and not to fall back into the uncaptivated mandates of the flesh. We have the power of your presence to change directions today, to choose to walk in your presence and overcome our fleshly desires. Today, some of us need to throw the book down, to get angry at the lies that we've believed, to draw the line, to say enough is enough. A voice inside of you is saying, I choose to run the race in the Spirit. In Christ, I will overcome the flesh and the lies. Welcome. You're welcome to come to the altar. Someone will meet you there. Some of you have some stuff to give up to Jesus, like the Christmas tree. You're all dressed up. You look good on the outside. But today the Lord has revealed to you that all that all of that is just a bunch of junk, a dead facade. The Spirit has exposed you this morning, just as the presence of the Holy God exposed Adam and Eve after they had fallen. The Holy Spirit has brought up things to your remembrance, and he's drawing you to give them to him. He wants to give you beauty for ashes. Make your way to the altar. There are people there who want to pray with you. The Holy Spirit is bidding all people everywhere to come to the fountains of refreshing. 
He desires to fill, refill, and pour out His Spirit, His anointing, a refreshing in the Holy Spirit. For those who are weary, for those who just need the time of refreshing in the Holy Spirit, all of those who desire to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit, you can stand where you are and freely receive. The Holy Spirit is coming in waves of refreshing. He wants to pour out more on his people. So I close now with this benediction. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he empower you with inner strength through his spirit. As you trust in him, Christ will make his home in your hearts and your roots will grow deep down into God's love and keep you strong. May you then have the power to understand the width, the height, the depth of God's love and experience Christ's love. For then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So once the worship team completes their final song, uh, the worship service will be over, and you can pick up your children at the children's ministry. And I hope we'll see you next week, and why not bring a friend with you? Thank you.